right, so we're hitting the Watergate this morning, and we've been talking about the, the main uh, verse for this week and this series has been James 4-7. And if you have a bulletin, it's understanding when we talk about the Watergate, the Watergate is, is about the Word of God. Everybody say, the Word of God. And how many know that Jesus revealed himself as the Word? And when we come into a relationship with Jesus and an understanding of him as the Word, it draws us to the Father. And when we are drawn to the Father, we have this understanding that God reveals himself as a Father to us. Uh, you know, I'm a translator. There's many translators now that are taking the word Father out of the Bible. They're replacing it with parent. And I'm like, ah, don't do that, you know, because the, we need a Father the Father determines our identity and our destiny, sends us out. You look at a mother, the way a mother holds the child. Mother holds the child usually inward to protect and to comfort. But a father, when the father holds the child, they hold them outward, show them this is the world. Like this is what you can accomplish and this is what you can do. And how many know we have such a society of snowflakes right now? <laughs> Yeah. And they need to get some snowballs. That's all I was saying. I, I, okay, I'm sorry, but it just, I have to say it. It's true, though. We, we have to create a society where they have a father that sends them out into the world with confidence and with boldness. And without the father, what happens? They, 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 they don't have the confidence to go. And can I tell you that when we start and we look at the, the, the idea of resisting the enemy, when we resist the enemy, we resist the enemy through the word of God. And when we meditate on the word, we focus on the word. What happens is that word gets inside of us and it gives us the ability to resist. The gospel is the pill that you need to take, and pills don't do any good if you don't take them inside. And when we get the word, it, we get the word inside of us, it gives us the authority and the ability to resist. How many remember in the book of Luke, Luke 4, 3 and 4, the devil said to Jesus during the time of when he was in the wilderness, he says, if you are, are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. How many know in our society today, they're coming against the very identity of our young people, and they're challenged, challenging their identity, and this is what Satan does. If you are this gender, if you are this, the devil questions that, and Jesus responds not with what is socially acceptable, but with the Word of God. You and I cannot bend from the Word of God. We have to humble ourselves and accept God's Word, even if it's offensive even when it's offensive, because that's our call as Christians. We have to let the Word of God change us. We don't change the Word of God. That's what the Bible does. And Jesus himself, as the Son of God, said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. So Jesus himself quotes the Word to resist the devil. 
If Jesus uses the word to resist the devil, how much more us? Well, I don't have time. Well, you better make time. Okay? We either, we either grow daily or we die gradually. And the word of God, I'm just I'm telling you, the water gate represents the word of God. And how many know evil men are going about suppressing truth today? They want to hold down the truth. They want to silence the church. We just had our YouTube channel shut down. That's because they want to silence truth. You understand? And what we do is we need to get louder and louder and louder. It's a confirmation to me that we're saying the right things when social media, when government tries to shut us down, we know we're on the right track. Because the enemy of truth is silence, not lies, silence. Because people can't handle truth, and because they can't handle it, they want to silence us instead of giving what the First Amendment gives us is the freedom of speech. So we have to understand there's authority and power in the word. So the first thing I want you to fill in on your worksheet is the word resists. Everybody say, the word resists. If you want to have authority to resist the devil, let's get the word in us. And James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves, therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's the authority that we have when we submit ourselves to God's word the devil has, and, and we resist him based on the word that we received, then he will flee. How many know the enemy runs from truth? But we, I, I, I preached the message a while ago. I called it truth or dare. We need to be both with truth and daring. You understand, a lot of Christians have truth, but they don't have any dare in them. I dare you. I dare you to stand up against what God says. That's, you understand, we have to have boldness. We're not snowflakes, right? We have to stand up to ungodliness with the truth, not in a, in a mean way, but just with the truth and a boldness. This is what God's word says. You may disagree with it, but God's word holds true. Amen. All right, so the word gives us the authority to resist. Now, the word submit, uh, there's a, a, an author I'm reading named Chaim Bentorum. He's an Aramaic scholar. How many know that the disciples and Jesus spoke in Aramaic? The New Testament was written in Greek, the Greek language, but Jesus spoke in Aramaic. Remember when he was on the cross, he said, Lama, Lama, Sabah, <laughs> or something like that. I can't remember what it says. But that was Aramaic. And so Jesus spoke this language. And so this scholar has gone in and taken the Greek words and defined them according to the Aramaic. And there's, how many know that when they spoke, again, when you talk about translation, they spoke in Aramaic to a translator who wrote it in Greek. So could, have the, could there be things that were missing, some dynamics that were missing in, the, in our understanding through the Greek text? It's fascinating. And I, I, love, I love just to study. He said this, when we're talking about submit yourselves to God, he said, in Greek, the word for submit is hypotagate, or it's a hypotasso. 
So hypo means to put yourself under, and tasso means an order. There's an order that you put yourself under. That means you submit. You submit yourself to an order. Uh, and it says, which is rank or place oneself under a specific plan or arrangement. Thus, we can only resist the devil when we place ourselves in God's plan, the center of his will. So hupo, put ourselves under the order that God has for us. That's what it means to submit. He goes on to say, I'm going to break this down a little bit. In the Aramaic, the word used for submit is eved. It comes similar to the obed we talked about a number of weeks ago. This word replies a servant is doing the work that is subject to another's will. So what he's saying here is sometimes we think that there's, there's the Lord's work, but it's kind of vague, like go to church, read your Bible, pray, evangelize. That's the Lord's work. But we have to come under the specific thing God has called us individually to do. Is that making any sense to you this morning? So what he says is that there are a lot of people who do the Lord's work, but it's not necessarily sub subject to the will of God. They're doing good things, and that's, that's the danger. We could do good things and miss out what God's called us to do exactly. Can I challenge you this morning? Can I push you a little bit? Step on your toes a little bit? Like, that means all of us individually need to get before God. Lord, what are you saying to me? Yes. One of my mentors, he told me, he said, Chris, when you ask God for your daily bread, you're asking him for your daily assignment. Who do I call? Who do I speak to? What do I study? What do I go after? Because oftentimes in church, we just think we get into doing good instead of doing what God exactly told us to do specifically. That's why it's so important that you have a personal encounter with God every day. Amen? Let me break this down. Some of you fathers are going to be taken to a great restaurant today. Let's say McDonald's. It's, you know, if you've been good. Or there's a great, nah, you guys don't have that. Do you guys have Shoney's here? No, used to have Shoney's. I always say the great French restaurant, Chonet's. <laughs> or the great department store, Jacques Penet. See, it sounds better, right, when you say it like that. But it's not. It's still just that. So if you, uh, if you are working at McDonald's, there's, a, there's, there's McDonald's work, right? You can be an order taker. I think you can put this up. You can be an order taker, a parking lot sweeper, a fryer person, a grill person, I know some of these are your dreams right here. Drive-through person. One of my kids, my, my oldest sons, they wanted to be garbage men when they grew up. I mean, they, they saw the guys come on the garbage truck, and they thought, whoa, wouldn't that be great? Like, I'll drive, and you'll be on the back. I'm like, yeah, man, that's, go for it, you know? So we all have dreams, you know? So if you are working for McDonald's, there is McDonald's work. But if you're supposed to be the order taker and you're sweeping the parking lot, you're not submitting. You're not submitting to the will of your boss. It's the same way in the church. You don't want to be sweeping the parking lot when God needs you on the fryer. Or you need to be the grill person 
and you're being the drive-thru person. You understand, we all have to say, God, what specifically are you calling me to do and be obedient? And once you're in that place of submission, then you have the authority to resist the devil. If you aren't in that place, you are putting yourself in a, with, with the ability where you can no longer resist the devil because you're not submitting to the Lord. There's personal obedience that only you can get in your quiet time. Jesus is boss. Amen? Did that, did I, did that help some of you this morning? So when we talk about the Word of God, the enemy that we battle at the Watergate is the spirit of the Antichrist. And I'll, and I'll explain that a little bit more. The Antichrist is not some end-time dude with a mark on his head that's going to take over the world. Sorry to mess with your end times theology, not really. But every time the Bible mentions the Antichrist, it's mentioned as a spirit. Everybody say spirit. It's mentioned as a spirit that's already here. I get my theology from the Bible. Just It's kind of a new thought preachers are trying. So the word resists, but the word then reveals. How many are glad that the word reveals to us? And when we spend time in God's word, there's revelation that opens up that we did not have previously. So when we look in the book of Nehemiah, it says that all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. There they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So we see spiritually at the water gate, they're explaining the word. They're teaching the word. And every day when we come to the water gate, we're making a declaration over our lives that the word of God will come alive to me, that I'll have understanding of the word. I'll have deeper revelation of the word. How many know that's a good prayer that we pray and God will reveal who he is and his person to you and to me when we spend time in the word? If we look at a, a map of Jerusalem, a picture of Jerusalem, when they built the city of Jerusalem, there is a water source called the Spring of Gahon right about here. That's why we put our baptismal over there symbolically. We'll call our baptism Gahon. Okay, is that good? And the, um, the spring was located outside of the city. Every city that you look in ancient times that's built is built because there's a water source close to the city or near the city. Part of the problem of the water source being outside of the city was solved by a king named Hezekiah. And what he did was he took and he channeled a tunnel from over here at the fountain gate, underground, they, they put a group of men over here and a group of workers over here, and they channeled through like 500-some meters of solid rock to bring water into the city because water is a necessity, just like the Word of God is a necessity. And part of what our prayer is is that we're going to channel what is outside to the inside. I believe that, that, that takes a place of maturity, is that what was once outside of us has been channeled inside of us so that we're spiritually strong and that we can withstand when the enemy comes and attacks us. Because how many know if the enemy can come and steal your water source, 
you'll last about three days. So we have to, and they'll talk about that in the, when we get to the fountain gate. But the water gate is the place for us to hear the word of God. So the citizens of Jerusalem would go out to the spring, bring water through the water gate. It represents the word of God clearly to receive the word of God with joy and celebration. How many know the Bible is called good news? A good declaration? How many know God wants us not just obedient but joyful? And that's one of the things that's lacking oftentimes when people word, read the word of God because they read it like it's a book of rules instead of a book training you to be a ruler. Come on. That's what it's doing. So if you're reading it thinking, I'm just getting a bunch of rules so I can go mean, be mean to people and tell them they're not following the rules. No. You're called to, to become the ruler that Jesus Christ came to model to show you how to live as a son and a daughter of the living God. But we need to learn how to receive it correctly. Nehemiah chapter 3 talks about the names of the people who built this gate. It says, after him, Pedaiah, which means Yahweh's redemption, the son of Perosh, made repairs to the place over the water gate. How many know that the word of God has a redemptive value to it? That when we build it, there's a, it it's redeeming us. And the name Perosh means flee in Hebrew. Just like we said, the enemy, when we resist him, he will do what? But it's not the flea they're talking about in Hebrew. But it worked. It sounded the same, right? Duh. Okay, I got to have some Father's Day jokes. All right, that was a Father's joke. Yeah, dad joke. Oh, it didn't work. Didn't go over. It's okay. You get... So when we look into the scriptures, I want to talk about how Jesus is the word of God. When you spend time in God's word, it is like fellowshipping with the person of Jesus Christ. How many of how many feel that when you're reading the Bible? You're like, this is, I'm with Jesus when I'm reading the Word. I'm spending time with the Son of God as I, as I read the Word. And I've been, I've been uh, writing this book about the two powers of heaven. It's fascinating. But one of the things is you discover is that the Word of God would show up to people in the Old Testament. And you can see... It is a picture of Jesus himself showing up, and then the person in the Old Testament, when the word of God came to them, they had an understanding that they didn't have before. Very similar to what happens when we encounter the person of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus was concealed in the old, but he was revealed in the new. But he was in the Old Testament. He's the eternal son of God. The Bible says in the book of Jude that he led, Jesus led the people out of Egypt. What? It says that in the book of Jude. That's fascinating, isn't it? So what I've done in my next book is we're going through and we're showing you how Jesus appears in the Old Testament. It blows your mind. So I'm going to give you this about the word today. It says in uh, 1 Samuel 3, 7, and remember Samuel was a young boy. His mother, Hannah, had left him at the temples, dedicated him to the temple. You know, we talk about, always talk about Abraham sacrificing Isaac and giving him up, but we don't talk much about Hannah. She sacrificed her own son 
to the temple for temple service, who later grew up to be the prophet. The, he was the one who connected the prophets to the kings. Samuel was so influential and powerful, but it, but it was rooted in Hannah's mother, her, her sacrifice as a mother. And Samuel was placed into the temple, placed in an atmosphere where there was so much ungodliness. Eli and his sons were ungodly men, and they were wicked. And there was Samuel placed in the temple, and he began to hear the voice of God. Come on, don't say, I can't hear the voice of God. There's too ungodly around. No, you can. You're, Samuel means to hear and obey, by the way. I rhymed. That was cool. So listen to what it says about Samuel. First 7, 3, 7. Now Samuel didn't yet know Yahweh, neither was Yahweh's word yet revealed to him. Why didn't Samuel know Yahweh? Is because his word, who is Jesus, was not yet revealed to him. So there's this picture that we have in the Old Testament. And remember, in John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everybody should remember uh, John 1.1. And some, there's some translation issues that I find with this Scripture that um, when I translated it, we do never want to confuse that Jesus and Yahweh are the same. They're not. They're separate. They're two separate powers of heaven. And a lot of people get confused in this because they say, how can you be God and be with God? Because that doesn't make sense. And so when I, when uh, this is a common translation, the way I translated it was, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with our God, and everything our God was, the Word was. Basically says that Jesus has a God license, but he's not the father. There's a father and there's a son. In the scriptures, we can see that God himself, one of the problems is when theologians began to define the word God in the Bible, we see God like a substance. Can I, um, I have some, my, my wife, my, my wife, my daughter likes slime and she's a slimeologist. So, I told her to give me the non-sticky slime. So what happened is, is, is uh, later church theology began to develop. And this is a little, anybody like slime? They began to view God as a substance. So when we look at God in the Bible, we, we have to go a little deeper in our understanding because later theologians began to say that they treat God as if he is, there's this thing called God's substance. This is confusing because it's really using language that the Bible doesn't use. So when we talk about God being um, God in the Bible, we sometimes view like there's God's substance and there's man's substance. And people think, well, Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. So theologians get really deep when they talk about this. It's because they have this basic belief that, I don't know if I'll get this off my hand, that God is a substance. But how many know this is not the way that the Jewish people understood the word God? God is not viewed as a substance. He's, God is a title. 
But when translators use the word God, it's translated as if we think God is some kind of substance versus there's a God substance and a man substance. And this is really sticking to my hands. I can't get God off me. He's all over me. It's going to be on your hands, though, baby. It's hard to do with a microphone in your hand. You're not going to come save us? So I'm going to start preaching now. good. I still have some of God on me. So it's okay. It'll, it'll probably make it worse. So what, what I've done as a, as a theologian, as I've, as I've kind of had to unpack how we view God, because we're not to view God out of some philosophical mindset, because that's how philosophers, oh, that was good. That's how philosophers view God, and we're not called to God to view God from some philosophical argument as if God is some substance. God is a title. If you read through the Bible, it says that they, they call God Yahweh, just like they would call the Lord Jesus. Lord is the title. Jesus is his name. God is his title. Yahweh is his name. Are you guys following me so far? So I had to like go a little deeper with that. And when we read 1 John, it doesn't make sense to us unless we change the word God to a, t to a title that we're used to. So I'm going to read it with a title put in there, and I'm going to use the title King here. This is then it makes sense. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with a king, and the word was a king. Does that make sense? So to view one of the problems in Christianity today is we don't separate the father and son. We don't know who we're praying to. We're not sure who to pray to. And the Bible teaches us we pray to the father in the name of Jesus. So there's two powers in heaven, friends. Jesus is with us when we're in the word. And when we pray to the when we pray, we're praying to the father and Jesus is our Lawyer, I mean, we need to have a good lawyer in Jesus, and you can be confident in prayer. And I'm going to break this down a little bit more because I think Christians, they, they, they're in this error called modulism, where they believe just like I'm a father, I'm also a son. They believe that, I, that God like takes the same role. It's not. There's two powers. There's a father and there's a son. There's Yahweh and there's Jesus. Did you know the Bible ends with two powers on the throne? The throne of God and the Lamb. There's two powers at the end of the Bible. Can I preach the Bible to you this morning? So we have to understand why is there two powers? Yahweh reveals himself through the word, his son, Jesus Christ. Now look at this. 1 Samuel 3.21. I have God all over me. Whew. And it's pink. Pink rec represents relationships. So... Um, 
1 Samuel 3.21. Read this. This is amazing. So Yahweh appeared again in Shiloh, for Yahweh revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by Yahweh's word. So if we want to have a revelation of the Father, we have to have an encounter with his son, Jesus Christ. Come on, isn't that, isn't that cool? No one can come to the Father, Jesus said, unless they come through me. You won't have the revelation of the Father unless you encounter the Son. This is why it's vital. People say, I believe in God. It's the acknowledgement of God's Son that saves a person. Not the, not the belief in God. Even the de demons believe in God and shudder. Are they saved? No. Belief in God doesn't save you. It's the acknowledgement of the Lord Jesus Christ that saves a person. How many are glad that the Word of God reveals the Father to us? Let me, let me land this thing here. Number three, the, the, the Word releases us. How many know today I want God to release you into the call of God, into what God has, has for you as his son and his daughter. Throughout the Old Testament in Jeremiah 3.19, even Yahweh, he's saying to this Israeli people, he's saying, I thought you would call me father. Like God has always wanted his people to relate with him as we would relate to a father. And there is the spirit of the Antichrist that attacks the concept of God being a father. Come on, how many of us serve the Lord? We showed up at church. We had no clue that he wanted to be a loving father. We thought he wanted to be king and ruler. And, uh, you know, we better obey the rules. That was the only side of God that we experienced. That's the spirit of the Antichrist keeping us from allowing us to see God as a father. In 1 John 2, 2, 2, it says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. What does the Antichrist do? It denies that there is a Father and that there is a Son. There's two. Okay? We see that's what the spirit of the Antichrist do. Now, if you study Islam... Islam is a cult. It takes the truths of Christianity and Judaism and distorts them. So on the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem, by the way, Jerusalem is never mentioned in the Quran, should not even be a holy place in the Quran, uh, in, in the uh, uh, religion, or the, I like to say it's more of a, it's a cult. And this is what is written on, it's one of their scriptures. They write this on the Dome of the Rock. It says, far be it from God that he should have a son. These are the very words encircling the Dome of the Rock in the mosque in Jerusalem. They deny that God could be a father, and they deny that Jesus Christ is his son. That's why Islam and Christianity, they don't mix. They, this is in the Quran. So people say, oh, the same God of the Quran is the same God of the Bible. No, it's like trying to mix oil and water. You can shake it all you want. They're never going to mix because it's, it's a different view of God, and they deny the sonship of Jesus Christ. And if any religion denies the sonship of Jesus Christ, 
and denies that he has a God license, that will not save you. Jesus is Lord. That's the confession that saves a person. Let's say that together. Jesus is in Lord, is Lord. So we not only want to know the scriptures, but we want to know his power. Matthew 22, 29 says, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. It's not just about knowing God's word, but it's knowing his power and knowing that he wants to give his people power. Power. Think about that. He doesn't want you just hearing the word. He wants you to receive the power that comes from that word so that you can live an empowered life. And as I have, you know, again, I was raised in a dysfunctional home, didn't understand how much God longed to reveal his heart to me as a father. Because, you know, when I first became a Christian, I was a zealot. I was like into God's word. I wanted to win everybody to Jesus. I would show up at Penn State University. I'd be preaching to people out in, the, in front of school buildings. And, you know, people would be pushing me and shoving me and spitting at me. And I was like, I'm going to win people to Jesus. I was a zealot. And, man, and I was jealous of any Christian that did worked harder than I was. I remember going to one table, and it was like some weird cult, and they were selling a bunch of stuff at their table. And I went over to it. And I said, this stuff is a bunch of beep, and I ripped their table off. And I'm like, that was not very Christian, by the way. But like I said, I was zealous. I was zealous. But I was hard as well because I, I, be, I began to live a life of thinking that God was pleased when we worked hard. <laughs> and so I was always seeking to get blessed by God by being the hardest worker. And I was, I was a good worker. I was zealous. But how many know that God doesn't bless us because we work hard? He blesses us because of our confession that Jesus is Lord. He blesses us because we believe in him. What happened, at the, what happened to Jesus himself is the father saw him at the baptism and he said, you're my son, I love you. With you, I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit came upon a Jesus at that moment. Not because he was baptized, because he didn't perform any miracles or do anything. He did that. Jesus was able to do powerful things because he received the Father's blessing. So as a Christian, you and I, we can't be full of the spirit of the Antichrist that denies the Father and Son. Jesus came to model for us, what it means to be a good son or daughter, how to live a supernatural life, how to live an empowered life. In Islam, they view God as great. And God is great. But they don't view God as an empowering God, somebody who wants to give away his power. Now, this will blow your mind. Okay? You guys better get on the edge of your seats right now. I like it. They say at rock concerts, you're only going to pay for the edge of your seat, not the whole seat, because you'll be on the edge of your seat the whole time. So just pay for the edge. No. But this was revelation that changed me. Luke 22 talks about Jesus said that as my father conferred a kingdom on me, so I confer the kingdom on you. And you understand revelation says that to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me 
on my throne. It's the Bible, by the way. It's not like Chris making stuff up to try to get a, wow, that's pretty cool. Flesh and bone sits on the throne. Jesus came to earth as a man, which is not an insult, by the way, so that when he died, was crucified and rose again, he now makes the way for us to sit on the throne. That's what, that's what, when we talk about the throne, not that we're worshipped because we worship the Father and the Son. Not that we're worshipped, but we walk in that authority and power. It's better than you could ever imagine. But most of you have struggling believing it because you haven't seen the Scriptures. Like, I've read the Scriptures, and I, I go, to sit on your throne with me? What? That sounds heretical. But it's not. It takes a crazy person to believe the good news that God as a father wants to do for you what he did for Jesus. He wants, this is what blew my mind. God himself. Now, most people, unhealthy people, when they get into a position of power, they don't want to let go of it. They want to keep it and hold on to it because they don't trust anybody else. So Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus said that. Who gave it to him? The Father. We have a God that is willing to release all of his authority and all of his power to another. That's a risk. You understand how, how amazing that is? That the father would say, here, to my son, here's all my authority and all my power. I trust you. And then Jesus, in turn, gives it to us. And what are we going to do with it? There has to be two powers in heaven because... We have to see the Father modeling how to give away his power. And we have to see it given to one that can be trusted as a son so that you and I can model the very same thing that Jesus did. We can model that. Every day we wake up, I'm loved. My Father says, you're my son, I love you, I'm pleased with you. You're my daughter, I love you, I'm pleased with you. And I'm going to walk in that authority that Jesus Christ gave me the same authority that his father gave him. If we can believe this crazy preacher up here, imagine what could happen into our, in our society. We don't need a mega church to change our community. We need a few of us that are at the Watergate, and it's been revealed to them. Because remember, remember what Nehemiah says. The people heard the word, and what did they start doing when they first heard the word at the Watergate? They started crying and weeping. Oh, we're in trouble. We've broken God's law. Oh, gosh, we're done. And Nehemiah's like, shh, quiet. He says, stop your crying. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That's the way we need to receive the word. It's not a book of rules, but he's training us. 
how to be sons and daughters, adopted, just like we were singing this morning, adopted into the family. And this is the season, this is the time that the local church needs to rise up and fulfill her calling. But we cannot do it unless we've encountered his word and the good things that it says about us and the authority that's available to us if we believe. John writes this, Every spirit who does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. The spirit. The spirit of the Antichrist. Like I said, it's not some end-time dude who goes crazy. It's a spirit that's here now that's keeping us from the revelation of the Father and the Son. He said, of whom you heard that it comes. He says, we are of God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not of God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So the Antichrist brings error into our lives so we don't come into the full revelation of who God is. And I love how this closes, and I'm going to land this here, Nehemiah 8.12. It says, Then all the people went away to eat and drink from the, wa from the water gate to send portions of food to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. And that's my hope and prayer today. As we're at the water gate, we get the revelation that the Father wants to give us today of who we are. God is a Father, and we are his sons and daughters because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus said all power and authority in heaven and on earth was given to him. If that power was given to him, only one person could have given it to him, and that was the Father. His name is Yahweh. And our God is not just a powerful God. He is an empowering God. Hear me on that. He wants to empower you, but he does not own slaves. He only lets sons and daughters work for him. If you're working for your salvation, you are a slave. Because salvation is a gift to be received. And when we receive that gift of salvation that the Father has given to us through his son, Jesus Christ, we are saved. That's what saves a person. And through that, we become empowered. So we're not striving to be good. We're not striving to do the work of God. We're work, our work is to believe in the one he sent, Jesus Christ. That's your work, to believe that Jesus Christ is God's son, the one he sent. Let's stand together. Let's give God a shout of praise. He is good.